Thank you. So, 1 Kings chapter 18. Again, compare, contrast uh, Elijah with Obadiah. Uh, we want to be obviously more like Elijah than Obadiah. And we are going to get up a little piece of Ahab at the end. And you're actually going to see a picture of Ahab in this text that um, may be a little surprising to you. So 18.1, a lot of time has passed, as you can tell in the first verse. After many days, many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So it's been three years of famine now. And we know specifically from the book of James, it was about a three and a half year famine. Um, no rain, so that brought famine to the land. So it's in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, go, show yourself to Ahab. Um, he's been hidden away uh, at the brook Cherith. He's been hidden away uh, with the widow of Zarephath, uh, both on, off the fringes of Ahab's territory. And now God says to him, go show yourself to the wicked, evil king Ahab. Um, should create a great deal of fear, I would think, uh, to go march in to see Ahab. But watch what happens. Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So he's going to make preparations. He's going to do that. He's going to, he's going to show you courage, and he's going to go to Ahab um, and, and say to Ahab that, again, his prayer life, Elijah's prayer life, holds the key to whether or not it rains in this region. Verse 2, so Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe. Maybe you can apply there more severe in Samaria. And we've talked geography. Samaria is to the north of Jerusalem. It's in the ten tribes of Israel that are to the north. Uh, the region sometimes is called Samaria, but there's a city there at that point called Samaria, and that's from where Ahab was ruling. Uh, by the way, today this is in the West Bank, and uh, Israelites still call it Samaria, though the rest of the world does not. But anyway, that's where Ahab lived, in Samaria to the north of Jerusalem. Uh, verse 3, and all of a sudden here comes this new character that we know nothing about. And Ahab called Obadiah. And you learn in the next phrase, who was over the household. Uh, so Obadiah evidently worked in the palace under Ahab. Uh, you want to see that Obadiah is a follower of Yahweh, believes in the God of, of Israel. Uh, think, think for a moment about in the Old Testament, there's even some in the New Testament, think for a moment about the places where one of God's people, God in leadership, I can think of three, God in leadership in a pagan regime. You remember any of them? Joseph in Egypt. Daniel. Daniel. Mm-hmm. Daniel. He's, he's with the Persians. Um, I can actually think of two more. Can you think of any more? Thank you for saying Esther. I was going to help you women. <laughs> yeah, don't forget Esther. Please don't forget Esther. Yeah, don't forget Esther. And Nehemiah was a cupbearer 
uh, before he uh, came back with the people from exile to um, reestablish Jerusalem, build the second temple. So it's, it's amazing how God accomplishes God's purposes. And in this text, you're going to see that God has people in places that you don't expect to see them. And Obadiah is one of them. So again, we know nothing about this Obadiah other than what's in the text here. Uh, but he's, 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 he's head of the household. He's maybe, um, I don't know what you'd call that in today's world, like whoever runs all of the um, logistics and the meals and the feeding uh, in the White House. That kind of person is what I'm envisioning. And again, you're going to see why in a moment this is going to, this is going to be important. But he, he has a prominent role in the palace taking care of uh, Ahab's household. Now, notice what you learn in the next sentence. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. So again, we know that Obadiah is, um, he believes in the God of Israel. Um, he, he's probably, he's, you're, going, you're going to learn he's not fond of what Ahab and Jezebel's doing. He's not fond of mixing uh, pagan worship with the worship of the true God. Uh, he feared the Lord. And um, uh, one of the things that I think this culture needs to warm back up to is the fear of the Lord is one of the most significant traits that a, a believer can, can have. Um, and I think this culture has totally lost the fear of the Lord. Uh, we trifle with God. We, 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 we trivialize God. We turn God into just, um, you know, the old man upstairs. We turn God into just, you know, some sort of supreme being that, that, that doesn't even like to make demands on us. We, we think God has to be gracious. God has to be loving. God has to be kind to us, which I'm so glad that he is, but he doesn't have to be. Um, and when you hear the fear of the Lord, I, I know that it's, always, it's, it's, it's customary in our culture to talk about awe and reverence and respect. And that's good. I mean, I think at its core, it means awe, reverence, and respect. But um, old-fashioned fear is not a bad idea either. You know, one of the um, problems with a lot of Christians, you can kind of see it here in this text, one of the problems is we fear people more than we fear God. We're more concerned about pleasing people than we're concerned about pleasing God. So that kind of leads me to believe the fear of God's not very prominent in our culture now. We work, a mu- we work much harder to please the people around us uh, and to stay out of trouble with them than, um, than we do to please God. You know, when you look at Jesus' day in, the, in, in Jesus' world where the Romans are ruling over the, the Jews in, in the region, uh, it's clear that for the Romans, the the greatest offense that the Romans knew was to be a traitor to Rome or to the gods of Rome. Uh, but it's very clear that the Jewish community in Jesus' day, and he would have agreed with this, even though he got charged with this, uh, the, the greatest concern of the Jewish community was blasphemy. I'm not even sure we talk about blasphemy anymore. I mean, we are way, 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 way beyond people concerned about taking God's name in vain. You know, uh, God gets insulted in so many ways. Uh, so fear of the Lord's a good thing. I've got a friend of mine who um, does a good teaching 
rather lengthy teaching course on the fear of the Lord. You know, I had respect and reverence and all for my, my father, but fear also was beneficial sometimes <laughs> with my father. You know, um, you know I, I, I really did want to please him. Um, I probably told you my father when I got in trouble back in those days, Nobody talked about, you know, corporal punishment for children. He would make me go get my own hickory stick. And I'd better get a good one or it wouldn't end well for me. Um, So this is good where it says, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. That's a good trait. It's a trait that's sort of lost. But I want you to hold on to that and see what Obadiah would not do. And this is where you start seeing the contrast between Obadiah and Elijah. He, he feared the Lord greatly, so we know he believed in Yahweh. Um, and he does something good. Look at verse 4. And when Jezebel, the Hebrew says, cut off the prophets of the Lord. What did she do to the prophets? Yeah, she killed them. Your English may just say killed them. And when Jezebel cut off, killed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets, a hundred these are true prophets, kind of like Elijah, took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave, and watch this, and fed them with bread and water. It's a famine. Where's he getting his bread and water from? That's why it's important you know. He was was the one who ran the palace. And I'm sure there's bread and water for Ahab and Jezebel. And so Obadiah hid a hundred prophets in a cave by fifties, not really sure why, but by 50s. Uh, and he got bread and water to him because he had access to it, being in the, in the palace. Um, so this is a good thing, a good thing uh, that Obadiah's doing. Now watch this, verse 5. And Ahab said to Obadiah, because they're sort of tight, Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys, perhaps we... Ahab's going to do it too. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divide the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. When I, when I see this, the first thing that pops into my mind is Ahab was a better person when he was not around Jezebel. Um, he, he's, he's going to look for water. He's going to look for f- food for the animals, uh, just like he's sending Obadiah to do. So that's kind of, a, kind of a nice picture of Ahab. Now, but you also have to understand, he's not just an animal lover. Why is he wanting to take care of his horses and mules? Say that again. Well, military purposes. He's a king. Chariots. Chariots. He's famous for his chariots. Yeah, he's not not really concerned about the animals as much as he's concerned about um, his power and his position. You know, I think we talked early on, when we look at Ahab from a historical point of view, he was a horrible king from the the point of view of the faith. But he was well known for his power and um, his the, the empire that he and his father Omri created. So he, he did military well. So don't get too enamored with Ahab at this point. He's not trying to be on the board of PETA or anything. Um, I assume he, li- he likes animals, but he likes animals before I can get out of them. 
And he wants to keep his animals alive, just like he has, he has bread and water in his palace. Um, anyway, so, so they do go and look. Um, that, that does amaze me some that Ahab, he might have been wanting to get away from Jezebel for a while. It's amazing to me he does the same thing he tells his servant to do. But anyway, he goes. So, and you're getting closer and closer to comparing and contrasting Obadiah, who is looking pretty good at this point. Uh, you know, probably you're already getting the hint that where Obadiah misses it is getting too close to Ahab. You notice every day of our lives, maybe moment by moment, we have to keep reminding ourselves, where is the line between my faith and what my faith demands and what the world is asking of me. And some people just quit even worrying about that, uh, which is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. But, um, you know, here's, here's, here's Obadiah, like those others we mentioned. They're living in a pagan environment. Ahab would have said he was not pagan, but he's pagan. Living in a pagan environment. And uh, it's, it's really easy when you, if you're not real clear about that line, it's real easy to get involved with compromise selling out your faith um, in order, again, there, there's times when you fear the people around you more than you fear God. You want to please the people around you more than you want to please God. So he's, he's in a tight place there serving Obadiah, just like Daniel and Esther and Joseph and Nehemiah were. That's, that's not an easy place to be, uh, to be in the midst of paganism, um, but still, still being faithful to the God of Israel. So it looks, you know, he looks pretty good here. Anyway, verse 7, watch what happens. And as Obadiah went on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face out of respect and reverence and said, Is it you, my, my Lord Elijah? You know, I can't believe it's you, Elijah. Because again, Elijah's sort of been in hiding, right? Way up in Zarephath or way over at the... Um, um, Brook Cherith. He, he's sort of been away from Ahab's territory. But here, uh, Obadiah, who's tight with the prophets, evidently, is tight with Elijah. I hadn't seen him in three years, but uh, he, he, he runs into him. It's, a, it's kind of a touching meeting. Verse 8, and he answered him, it is I. And, and now he gives Obadiah instructions. Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Remember, Elijah had been told to um, go show yourself to Ahab. Go meet with Ahab. So Elijah says to Obadiah, go, go, go tell Elijah, go tell, go tell, go tell, go tell that, um, go, go, tell, go tell Ahab where Elijah is. Um, it's interesting how Obadiah responds. Look at how Obadiah responds. And he said, how have I sinned? You know, modern way of saying that might be, how have I made you mad, Elijah? Now, again, notice the only thing he asked was to go tell Ahab, King Ahab, where he can find Elijah. And as soon as he says that, Obadiah says, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? Uh, he's going to explain as it goes on why he thinks this will risk his life if he goes and tells Ahab where Elijah is. Because you may wonder, why, why, would that, why would Ahab bring harm to Obadiah? 
because Ahab wants to get his hands on, I suspect, on Elijah, because Obadiah thinks he's the one that's caused all this famine, uh, the lack of rain, the drought. Um, so you would think that that's a good thing. So just kind of think in your mind, wonder why Obadiah thinks this will not end well for him if he goes and tells Ahab. Well, the text tells you. Look at verse 10. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. So we learn here at this point, Ahab's been looking all over the place for three years for Elijah. And when they would say, the people that Ahab would go looking for Elijah, and when they would say, he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation um, that they had not found you. In other words, he'd make them swear. He would make them swear Elijah is not here. He looked all over the place within his realm. He might have gone out of his realm to places like Phoenicia, Sidon, or he may have, where the widow's air path was, or he may have gone uh, over the Jordan River. Um, he searched. For three years he's been searching. Verse 11, and now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Now, don't, don't read ahead. Again, why is that frightening to... Um, Obadiah, this is, you're getting ready to see in the next verse, the only direct reference to the Holy Spirit in the book of 1 Kings. Again, we're Old Testament. There are some new things about the New Testament. A lot of new things about the New Testament. Uh, you don't do away with the Old Testament. You just find a lot of wonderful additional information in the New Testament, such as you, you, you can develop a complete pneumatology. That's, that's the theology of the Holy Spirit. Pneuma's in breath. Uh, pneumonia. Uh, you can develop a whole pneumatology out of the New Testament. Um, you can get some stuff about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. You know, he brooded over the waters at creation. I mean, you got references to, and this is about the right percentage, one occurrence in the book of First Kings. You're getting ready to see it. And this is what's frightening Obadiah, because evidently this has been happening. Verse 12, and as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, he cannot find you. He will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. So what's he afraid of? Yeah, you know, he goes to King Ahab and says, he's over here in Archdale. But by the time Ahab gets there, the Spirit will quickly whisk Elijah off, which has been happening. By the way, it's going to happen at the end of his life, too. Um, for some reason, Elijah had some um, reputation for quick movement. <laughs> um, so, you know, he's saying, if I go and tell Ahab where you're at, and Ahab goes, look, and you're not there, uh, Ahab will probably be a little ill with me. So, um, yeah, and so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, had feared the Lord from my youth. Okay, watch this. He fears God, but I think he fears Ahab more. He fears God, but um, he, he doesn't want to get himself in trouble. He fears God. He even takes care of some prophets of God as long as it doesn't cost him a whole lot. I think you could create a really good sermon about Obadiah being an example of... Um, a good person who does believe, but who's a little cowardly. You know, um, 
Peter Kreeft, one of my favorite modern philosophers, says, God has made great saints out of sinners, but he's never been able to do anything with a wimp. (laughs) We need to remember that. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff that will make, make us become part of the secret service of God real fast. Because we don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to cost us anything. We don't want to cost our family anything. And that's kind of Obadiah. He's sort of there in the middle. He's, he's a good guy. He's done some good stuff. He believes in Yahweh. But, um, you know, his limits are there too. And again, it's really hard. And this is what we're called to do. It's really hard to know where that line is between my faith in Yahweh, Jehovah, God of Israel, and, and my desire for comfort and pleasure and security, and the list goes on. I mean, he might be risking his job security. You know, he's, he's living in the palace. That's a pretty good deal, particularly during a drought and a famine. That's a pretty good deal. So notice what Obadiah is not willing to do. Now, obviously, here's some fear in Obadiah. I don't see a lot of fear in Elijah. I think the author wants you to contrast these. So um, anyway, go back to verse thirteen. Has it not been told? Has it has it not been told, my lord, what I did? Has it not been told you, Elijah, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your lord. What what is Obadiah doing here? I know. Haven't I done enough? I'm a good guy. I've done good things. I took care of prophets. That's kind of like I was saved in 1972. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's some... Yeah, Um, that's sort of what Obadiah's doing here. And and it's, you know, it's not saying what he did was not great and godly and for for the good of God's work in the world, but he's being called to do something else now. And it, it doesn't, it, it, you know, you can't say, well, I went to Sunday school. I never missed Sunday school. Had a real long strand of perfect attendance in Sunday school. You know, I mean, nothing's wrong with that stuff. Um, yeah, it's, 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 we shouldn't go there when God asks something of us. Um, and now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And, Eli- and keep reading verse 15. And Elijah said... As the Lord of hosts, that's, Gord, that, that's um, uh, Lord Sabaoth. You remember singing that in the hymn of Mighty Fortress. Uh, Lord Sabaoth, um, Adonai Sabaoth, is Lord of hosts. It's usually how we translate it. Probably better, because you need to say, who are the hosts? Um, the better way of translating that is Lord of angel armies. So whenever Martin Luther in the Mighty Fortress and the rest of us refer to Lord God Almighty, Lord Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, we're reminding ourselves he has a whole host of angel armies at at his disposal. So God can take care of you. God can take care of you. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So what's what's Elijah promising? He's not going to vanish. He's not going to be whisked away. He's going nowhere. So you you see Elijah's courage in face of Obadiah's um, lack of courage. Um, He said, I I will show him today. I I will stay put. You go tell Ahab. 
So Ahab does it. Verse 16, you know, he gets there. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So Obadiah falls off the page of Scripture at this point. Um, not, not sure what to do with Obadiah. You know, I'm sure the rabbis can tell you a lot more about Obadiah. I'm sure they have thought about it and made up stuff about it. And You can write your fictionalized account and finish the story of Obadiah. I don't know if he ends well or not. I don't know which direction he goes in. We don't know which direction he goes in. We don't know if he, um, for the sake of his uh, employment and job security and for the sake of um, living in the palace, if he begins to lean more and more toward Ahab and Jezebel, or does he really take his serious, his faith serious? He fears God, but does he fear God more than he fears the people around him? And uh, we don't know. We don't know about Obadiah. I don't know how it ends. So before we finish the last three verses, because we're going to see a little brief encounter with Ahab, I'm just curious, Obadiah, good character, bad character? Maybe he's a middle-of-the-road character. Maybe that's why he's there. What do you think about Obadiah? Um, he's stuck in here for some reason. Well, he's had the courage to take care of those 200 people. Yeah, I'd be careful of stealing food from Ahab and Jezebel. But evidently he was doing it. He tried. He tried. tried. <laughs> I, you know. Yeah, Ahab on one side, Elijah on the other side. So you, he's the common man you got to take care of, yeah. Well, and as you said that, just to jump ahead, next week we get to do Mount Carmel. Look, look, look at verse 20 and 21 when the, at the beginning of the Mount Carmel stuff where Elijah goes into contest with the prophets of Baal. Verse 21, And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. So, yeah, I th- that, that's the choice here. Um, yeah, we, who's your God? You know, God won't let you take... God is a very jealous God. Um, you know, one of the verses that I kind of write over all of the story of Elijah, maybe over all the Bible, and you, you may look this up, it's, it's Isaiah 42.8. It's a famous text where God says, I will not share my glory with any other. You know, you can't be two-thirds into Yahweh and one-third into Baal. You know, He says, I will not share my glory. I will not give my glory to any other. And that includes He will not give His glory to other gods. He will not give His glory to other people. Um, yeah, I'm not sure we, we have the... You know, if you ever read um, one of the books that I highly, highly recommend, one of the authors I try to read on a regular basis, A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God, which I try to read annually, and his other book, we had several, but his other one that I try to read on a regular basis is The Knowledge of the Holy. They're little skinny books. And when you read The Knowledge of the Holy, it's all about the attributes of God, the character of God. But in the preface or introduction at the beginning, A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about you 
is what you think about God. Is He holy, transcendent, almighty, powerful, center of the universe? Or is He just my buddy out there that I go to when I need something really big done? I mean, the most important thing about any human being is how you view God. Because that's going to determine everything in your life. Everything in your life. That's going to determine what kind of husband you are, what kind of wife you are, what kind of parent, grandparent you are, what kind of employee you are. You know, if your if you're image of God... that We have the Bible to teach us who God is. But if we have an image of God that, you know, He's like, kind of like a Santa Claus on steroids, you know, that can give us really good stuff. If that's our image of God, we're in, we're in a bad spot. If, 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 if our image of God is just you know, like a bottle of Tylenol that we keep on the shelf for when we need it. Um, That's bad. Yeah. Um, What's your image of God? And that's why we have 66 books in the Bible. What's your image of God? Who is He? And that's why I try to periodically go back and reread A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy because he just goes through the attributes of God one by one. Why does he mean he's omniscient? Why does it mean he's omnipotent? Why does he mean that he's holy? You know, um, I'm not I'm sure our culture thinks God is holy, particularly when I see how his name's thrown around. You know, I don't want you. I see people talking about God and what using the name of God in ways I would probably hit them if they used my wife's name that way. But we let them use God's name that way, and we don't. Sometimes we don't even notice. Um, yeah, I don't know that our culture knows much about blasphemy. Yeah. Question. Um, thinking about what it must have been like to be a follower of Yahweh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost thinking of World War II in Europe before we liberated Europe, and like the people who hid Anne Frank and mm-hmm. other Jewish mm-hmm. people. I mean, they knew they were taking their life in their hands by, by, by hiding these Jewish people. And if anything, anything had gotten out, it would have been their life yep. on the line. But yet they were very courageous in hiding the Jewish people. So, you know, it's almost like you walk a fine line, but if you see people that are almost being executed there in the palace in front of you for, you know, maybe you think... Oh, I better keep quiet. Yep. What they just did, they just executed just for this tiny little infraction. And, you know, I, I have to walk such a fine line. Yeah, he's, he's probably thinking, well, either I walk this fine line and stay living in the palace, or I go hide with those, go hide with those prophets. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things I love about, I think I'm remembering correctly, it's been a year since I've been there, but the Holocaust Museum in D.C., there's an area of it that talks about the Gentiles, who did exactly what you said. If you go to the um, Holocaust Museum, Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, uh, when you walk in, there's this um, pathway of uh, the righteous Gentiles Mm -hmm. where there's trees planted Mm -hmm. for people like Corey Ten Boone, um, Oscar Schindler, Mm -hmm. people who risk their lives to, to save the Jews. You know, I, I, I don't think I told you when I was talking about Israel. One of the... One of the times I was made to look foolish because of a dumb thing I said was on the streets of Tiberias. Tiberias is the big city heading toward the north. It's, it's on the Sea of Galilee. But uh, sometimes, like in the 80s, when Lebanon and Israel were in a 
full-fledged war. Bombs landed in Tiberias. And um, anyway, I was over there right after one of those Lebanese conflicts ended. And I'm on the streets of Tiberias with people. And, you know, they hear me, they know I'm not native to Tiberias. So this guy who was, you can hold hold dual Israeli-American citizenship. So uh, this guy um, uh, spoke to me, come to find out he was from New Jersey, and we started talking, and he, had a, he lived six months in New Jersey, six months in Tiberias. And one of the stupidest things I ever said to an Orthodox Jew was I said, because this was just in the spring after the fall where bombs were dropping around Tiberias and further north in Israel. I looked at this man, I said, well, I guess you stayed home in New Jersey last fall. He looked at me and said, after all my people have gone through, I had to come stay here. And he put himself in the bombing. He could have stayed. He could have stayed in New Jersey. Um, yeah, I learned something when that man said that to me. Yeah, I mean, we have to make our decisions as to what's most important to us. And um, yeah, write a book about Obadiah and show us where he goes to after this. You know, does he get promoted under Ahab and Jezebel, or otherwise? Yeah, I think you know. I think he may be. That's why I think this unknown section here is to help us evaluate our lives. You know, we may not be Elijah, we may not be Ahab, but which way are we heading? Which way are we leaning? Which way are we trying to lean into? More like Ahab and the culture, you know, to get ahead and, you know, someone, I'm sure I told you this, someone, John Wesley was preaching one day and he had a whole list. If you read the Methodist rules, which when I... When I went in the ministry 38 years ago, we still, some of us, were still reading the Methodist rules once a year. We probably stopped because there are things in there that people laughed at in this culture. But if you read the Methodist rules, you see that Wesley had some, he had some opinions about a lot of things, including certain industries, certain ways of making money. And somebody, um, after probably hearing a reading of the Methodist rules, went to Wesley one day and said, well, you know, I've got to make a living. And Wesley said, no, you don't. You really don't. You know, if you starve to death for the sake of your faith, that's, that's better than making a living in something that's contrary to your faith. Yeah, I think bravery and courage is way undervalued in this culture. Well, our whole lives are, mm. is, is a choice. You have a choice about everything you that's do. That's right. And it's up to you. Like you said, God doesn't send anybody to hell. Mm-hmm. You make, yeah, I think, what is it, 3,000 choices a day we make is what some psychologists tell. Every choice, you know, um, yeah, I'm not going to say that. Yeah, we have lots of choices. <laughs> no, I will say it. Let me look at I love rotary. I love rotary. And this is minor. This is minor. I love rotary. I'm waiting. I've been in rotary since I came to High Point. I've been, I'm waiting till they notice that I don't participate in the raffle. I don't participate in the Queen of Hearts. Book of Discipline says we Christians don't do that. And we don't even know why anymore. But, you know, for me it's enough to say we don't do that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if they've noticed, which they shouldn't notice. But I, you know, again, I don't make it an issue, but it's a minor thing. I probably... Anyway, yeah, you got to make decisions. 
And, and a lot of our decisions we make are just almost unconscious. We don't seize the day. We don't, we don't grab the day. We just kind of float along at the, at the, at the whims of the winds around us. And, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, 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 we kind of live there where Obadiah is. But then we need to at least ask which, which way we head toward Ahab or Elijah. I mean, Elijah, obviously, after, the, after Mount Carmel, you're going to see Elijah, he hits a bad spot. I mean, Elijah paid a deep price for his faith. Um, well, don't run out and tell her band rotary that I don't like the <laughs> Queen of Hearts. I just, you know, I just, I've read my book of discipline. And every time, every time when I was a disc superintendent, I, you know, I'm a little old-fashioned. I don't think I'm prudish, but I'm a little old-fashioned. When I was a disc superintendent or pastor, and every church I've been in, when I was a disc superintendent, multiple churches would come to me and talk about a raffle, and I'd just say, don't talk to me about it. Don't tell me. I, did, I would say, you know, read the book of discipline. There's some good stuff in there. You know, which obviously in Methodism right now, nobody reads the book of discipline anymore. <laughs> But, yeah, there's some good stuff in there um, to ease your conscience a little bit. And this, I don't know what I think about this. We did decide, we did decide uh, back in 2012 or sometime in recent history that you can raffle, you just can't raffle money. It's a queen of hearts still out. You can raffle, but you can't, just can't raffle money. You know, even that, even when we make decisions like that, because decisions are hard. When I, when we make a decision like that, I don't know which way we're leaning, Ahab or Elijah. It's okay. Because, I mean, every church I've been in has done raffles. But what is the difference? Whether you raffle off the dollar bill or what the dollar bill costs. That's why I say it. That bothers me. I'm not sure which way I'm leaning on that one. It sounds a little bit like Obadiah saying, I, I don't want to lose my job in the palace. It's just, yeah, you know, just one of my favorite words is intentionality. I almost never heard that word. It was big when I went to seminary, and I never hear it anymore now. Be intentional about what you do. You know, don't just let life happen. Yeah, we make 3,000 choices a day. And, um, yeah, decide what you're going to do. Which way are you leaning, Elijah or, 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 or Ahab? And, um, yeah, that may be exactly why I think... That may be exactly why I think Obadiah is here. Because this is where most of us live. This is where most of us live. Um, I remember one of my churches, we had some nice endowments. This was years ago, by the way. Don't try to figure out where it was. But um, some of the people where our money was invested ended up being invested in some things that I considered questionable from a Christian point of view. And that was really fascinating to go to a finance team committee and tell them my concerns about where our endowments were. Because the only thing they wanted to talk about was what? The return on the finances. And you need to be the voice in the room that says there might be something more important than the return on that investment. You know, Anyway, anyway, and then the other, after they got past the return, it was like, well, 
if we followed any money anywhere, it would end up being somewhere we don't want to be, so therefore just give up. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. I can't follow every dollar that I spend. When I'm in Israel, if you go to Israel with me, I'll tell you where the approved stopping, shopping places are. If I like give you an hour and a half at Nissan Brothers, good shopping place. If I give you like uh, 45 minutes at the boat store on the sit, good. One of the, in my mind, what makes it good shopping places and bad shopping places is some of the people you buy from may be funding Hamas and Hezbollah. And, you know, you get good deals. You know, it, it may not, I tell people, you buy what you want to buy, but, you know, they, you know, my tour guide, by the way, for those of you that are going with me, my tour guide, and I don't always know, my tour guide swears that the store at our big hotel funnels money to Hamas. You know, rumors all over the place about everything, but, who, but at least I, I, know, I know the Nissan family in Bethlehem. So again, you know, I, I know you can drive yourself crazy overthinking things. I'm not, I'm not really opposed. You know, we got a culture now that's opposed to overthinking things. And I know there's a downside to overthinking things, but most of the time I'm okay with overthinking things. You know, because I, you know, the other side of not overthinking things, there's some words I don't like, like stupid. <laughs> I mean, I know some people never overthink anything. They don't even come close to thinking about some things, so they don't have to worry about overthinking things. So, um, yeah, you know, be, be intentional. You know, every decision we make, we, we may be heading toward Ahab or or um, Elijah. Anyway, anything else about Obadiah? We'll look at these three last verses and get out of here. This is where he encounters, this is where he encounters Ahab. So evidently, Elijah was truthful, as he should have been, as we would have expected. Elijah's truthful to Obadiah. He stayed put. So verse 17, Ahab goes out to meet Elijah. Verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah... Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? That is interesting on several levels. One, the word troubler in Hebrew there literally means snake. You snake, snake in the grass. You troubler of Israel. Um, but, you know, what I think when I read that, is it you, you troubler? Who is messing up Israel right now? Ahab and Jezebel. It's not Elijah. Elijah's not the one worshiping pagan gods. Elijah's not the one um, drifting further and further and further away from the God of Israel. Elijah's not the one to blame. Um, but that's the first thing you see Ahab do. You know, um, is, is it you, you troubler of Israel? I notice how, verse 18, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. You have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Um, you could write a book about human beings' passion to not take responsibility for what they do. You know, are you, there you are, you troubler of Israel. Well, Elijah real fast gives it back to Ahab. You're the one who have troubled Israel because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the bells. There's the two problems. 
false gods and not no obedience. Uh, verse 19, now therefore send, this is amazing, watch this. Uh, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, that's a goddess. So he's saying, bring those 850 prophets to me atop Mount Carmel. All those prophets who eat at Jezebel's table. And again, eating with someone means fellowship, intimacy with someone. Look at verse 20, which is part of next week. So Ahab, Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered. It's kind of amazing to me Ahab didn't like arrest Elijah. Didn't take Elijah. There's something about Elijah's personality that um, makes Ahab do what he says. I'm not sure that when Ahab went storming out there to find Elijah, that what he thought was, I'm going to storm out there and find Elijah and see what he wants me to do. I doubt that's what was on Ahab's mind at that point. But there's something about Elijah that makes Ahab do that. Wonder comments. What, what do you think is going on here? Hmm. I think yeah, maybe I have still a, kind of afraid of Elijah. There's a word I like, and I hear it a lot as clergy discuss clergy. Um, don't hear it otherwise. Gravitas, gravitas. Um, you know, I want my judges and my clergy and my surgeons, my doctors. I want them to have some gravitas about them. I got rid of a doctor one time because he played with my toes every time he walked in the room. I'm serious. And he did three surgeries on my eye, and your eyes are sort of important. So when he was talking about number four, I wouldn't got me a surgeon that had more gravitas. The guy, that guy was friendly. That guy was friendly. Uh, but I didn't need him to be my buddy. I don't let my wife play with my toes. I'm laying in a hospital bed, and he plays with my toes. So I'm like, this, I need to feel confidence in my doctor, my surgeon, particularly when he's working on my eyes. I had three eye surgeries one time. You know, I need gravitas. But again, I don't know that our culture even pays attention to that. We trivialize stuff. We make stuff trite. I think Elijah had a lot of gravitas. If you look at paintings of Elijah, people trying to figure out what Elijah looked, well, if you go to Mount Carmel, I may take somebody there one day. If you go to Mount Carmel, it's an amazing mount. It's, 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 well, let me show you where this is kind of fun. Turn to your map. We'll stop with this. Turn to your map because we're going to be on Mount Carmel next week. I want to make sure you know where Mount Carmel is. Uh, you can really do any of your maps that show the land of Israel. Um, look at the coast. If you go north on the coast of Israel, uh, probably any of your maps, particularly Old Testament, you see Gaza down far south, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod. You'll see Joppa. There's no Tel Aviv till 1905. You go up to, but anyway, you see, if you're going up the coastline, you see where it looks like there's a, like a peninsula that juts out into the water, sort of like a little horn or something. Mount Carmel is real near that. So atop Mount Carmel, and this is going to come to play in Elijah's story, atop Mount Carmel, you can sort of see in, into the Mediterranean. So, um, uh, on top Mount Carmel, my remark about gravitas, there's a statue of Elijah. Um, think about if you want to try to capture the essence of Elijah, 
in a statue. How would you do that? Well, the way the artist did, and his statue's on top of Mount Carmel today, is Elijah with a sword over his head. That's gravitas. That's not somebody that's going to you know, tell you the latest joke he heard. He's serious about what he's doing. Because, by the way, you'll notice he uses that sword after his contest with the prophets of Baal. But uh, yeah, there was something about Elijah that made Ahab just do exactly what he said. He's going to get, maybe he thought, you know, 450 to 1, the odds are against Elijah. So we'll come out looking pretty good. Maybe he gathered them for that reason. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. Let's pray together. Thank you for, for studying. God, I'm grateful for these people and their devotion to your word. We're grateful that as we search your word, we find instruction, we find wisdom, we find truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. See you around.